In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about gender bias and fairness, specifically in the context of artificial intelligence. It is no secret, obviously, that uh, large language models and diffuser models both have biases in them on things like gender and race or ethnicity, background, religion, etc., because these models are cobbled together from the entirety of the public's content on the Internet. And the reality is that these are in many ways mirrors of humanity itself. And humanity contains biases and things. So, Katie, when we talk about gender bias and fairness, if you wouldn't mind, start off in your mind, what is fairness? What does that mean to you, particularly since you're of a different gender than I am? And how do you see that manifesting in the usage of artificial intelligence? So at its core, fairness is giving equal opportunity to any one person, to any one gender, to any one background, ethnicity. So Chris, if you and I were, you know, both presented with a speaking opportunity, to be fair, we would both be given equal you know, opportunity to, uh, you know, apply for it to, you know, win the opportunity, whatever the thing is. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is an unconscious bias or conscious bias of, well, <sighs> Chris is a man and Chris has been doing this longer and Chris has data scientist in his title. So therefore, he must be more well suited for this. And I've never heard of Katie, even though she's spoken at a bunch of events and doesn't have scientist in her title. So I'm going to pick Chris because I know him versus Katie. So that's sort of where the unfairness comes in. When you start to create gender bias, that's when you're like, well, this audience is going to be more men. So they'd probably respond better to a man speaking versus a woman. And that's and so and then therefore, Chris, you would be selected versus, you know, conversely, you could say, well, you know, this is a female audience and therefore I'm going to pick the female speaker like you can bias in the other direction. It doesn't happen as often as, you know, things are slanted in favor of women, but it can happen, you know, to be sort of in that construct of fairness, you can overcompensate for one versus the other, for one ethnicity, for one gender, for one, you know, whatever the thing is, pick the category. I remember a few years back, we were talking about this in a slightly different context in terms of helping one of our friends try to figure out how to source speakers. And we got into a long debate around, well, if we blind everything, if we anonymize, you know, names and backgrounds and all of that so that it can be more fair, are we overlooking the people who are more qualified in order to have a more diverse group of speakers? And we didn't have a good solution for it. And so there's a, it's a it's a complex topic to unpack. So Chris from your perspective, you know, what is fairness? So there's this is a really really like you said a very complex topic because you have two different kinds of equality. There is equality of opportunity, right? Where you say, "Yes, Katie, you should get the same shot I get," right? If if we are matched on skills. If we are matched on capabilities, we should have the same opportunities. That's one aspect of fairness, equality of opportunity. The second is equality of outcome, 
where the outcome mm -hmm. is fair regardless of the input. So, for example, um, two people who are equally qualified should have the same pay, right? Mm -hmm. That is equality of outcome. We're not saying you have a chance at better pay. We're saying you should have the same pay because a, a protected class like gender should not be an influence of whether you get paid or you know less or more. And so the challenge for a lot of us, particularly across different cultures, is which kind of fairness is A, legally required in your culture, mm -hmm. and B, is, is optimal for the situation. For example, with voting, everyone should have, that's, that's equality of outcome. Everyone should have the same right to vote, right? They, you no know, one group of people should have less of a right or be suppressed in their voting. Everyone should get the same, you know, one person, one vote, regardless. Um, with things like speaking opportunities, that's a, that's more gray because like you said, when there's issues of is one person more qualified than the other is if you care about equality of outcome, you say it doesn't matter what qualifications there are. You, you have to have 50, 50 gender bias or you have to have a representation uh, yeah, that's proportional population for the, for the speakers involved. So in America, that would be like, you know, 17%, 17.6% of your, your speakers must be black uh, or uh, of black descent, you know, and 10.6% must be Hispanic or Latina. Um, and so that's a really big challenge when it comes to things like AI and the usage of AI. You have to decide what kind of equality are you after? Um, and there's cultural stuff, too. East Asian nations like China, Japan, Korea, et cetera, um, they're collectivist nations where the, the group is generally put ahead of the individual. So individuals matters much less. So equality of outcome tends to be more heavily weighted than equality of opportunity because this equality of opportunity is, is not as important as equality of outcome. Everyone should be treated the same. It's, a, it's very much a, a, a monoculture in some ways. Um, Whereas in America, America is highly individualistic, anomalously individualistic. Actually, there's a, there's a great free economics episode about this. Um, we are bizarrely individualistic on this rating scale, like 10x beyond any other nation. So for us, equality of opportunity is like, yeah, everyone can make it. Everyone's, everyone has a chance to, at the American dream. But the, the outcomes are clearly very, very skewed. Um, so when we think about circling, working this into AI, it's, it can be very difficult to say, well, what constitutes fairness and, and dealing with gender bias in AI? Because depending on the question will depend on what model of fairness you need to use. And then some models, and particularly language models and uh, diffuser models especially, um, can be... Can, can be very problematic in those regards. Um, a real simple example. If you go to uh, Bing Image Creator, and you type in a, a handsome man at the office, it's going to generally show one particular ethnicity, right? Um, and if you say a beautiful woman at the office, it's going to come, come up with a, a particular ethnicity and some very stereotypical traits. And those are the latent biases within the models because they're statistical representations of what they've been fed. And so that's the, that's the challenge that we have to face off is, we have human bias that has become codified as statistical bias, and then that is what is returned by the models. Because the models don't think, they can't reason, they're not self-aware. They can only return probabilities, and the probabilities they contain are biased. Ooh, that's a lot of information. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, 
you know, so you're talking about, you know, equal opportunity. And obviously, you know, as an American, I understand what all of that means. But as a pragmatist, I'm thinking about, so let's just take voting, for example, you know, and, you know, if I say something that someone listening to this doesn't agree with, please let me know. I would love to respectfully, you know, uh, talk through your opinions. Um, as Americans, we are all given the same exact right to vote. The problem with that is that there are no qualifications in terms of how informed you are when making such vote. Whereas with speaking opportunities, for example, and these are, you know, broad strokes, these are general statements. Um, we may all be informed and educated, but we may not be given the same opportunities because of our ethnicity, because of our genders. And so to me, like, that's so backwards. Like, I don't think you should have to take a test in order to be able to vote. I do wish there was some level of educating yourself on what you're voting on required before casting said vote because we're seeing what happens when people just blindly vote or you know vote without being fully informed on what it is they're voting on versus a speaking opportunity where yeah you get duds you get people who are sort of bsing their way into the speaking world but then people who are well qualified are giving getting passed over because they're not as vocal. They're not as extro extroverted. And so I just, I sort of question, you know, again, very, very controversial statement that I'm making. I'm questioning, questioning this notion of equal opportunity. Should it just be a blanket, everybody gets the same rights, or should there be some kind of a qualification? Do you understand where I'm trying to go with this without saying, let me strip Americans of their rights, but I'm trying to get more into, you know, how do we make better informed decisions? I understand where you're going. The counterpoint to that is that qualification processes tend to be biased in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in hiring, the, the requirement of a college degree is inherently somewhat racist because it it correlates highly with income and income correlates highly with race in America. And so mm -hmm. it's saying you must have a four-year bachelor's degree automatically excludes a large percentage of the population that does not have one because they were unable to afford one. Now, granted, there are a lot of people in that pool. It's not just one ethnicity, but there's, there is one ethnicity that is disproportionately affected by that screening criteria, and that is typically black Americans. And so mm -hmm. we have to be very, very careful with qualification gates because there are going to be latent biases in them as well. And this is actually really important when it comes to the use of AI, because when you think about things like the use of any kind of qualification or the use of any kind of thing, you have to look in your data to say, is there a bias against a protected class? This is one of the reasons why it's actually a good idea to have those protected fields within, say, like classical machine learning. If you're doing regression analysis, say your customer database, to have gender and to have race in there and then to specifically disallow that in your algorithms to say you may not use this as a factor. But mm -hmm. 
you absolutely should use this to detect correlates and covariates to say, like, okay, we've got all these other things, but it turns out that the machine has assembled these three variables that correlate highly to race or that correlate highly to gender. And therefore, these three variables in combination also should not be used because you are using, you are accomplishing discrimination by proxy, right? The, um, if, if I have, example, your Spotify preferences your book preferences your movie preferences i can probably get your sexual orientation and race down within like a 95 percent confidence interval because there's just some patterns in that data that are going to to indicate who you are based on your preferences and with a, a high degree of of uh, accuracy and that in turn we have to disallow we have to disallow those specific combinations that correlate in those patterns and again this is something that generative ai does not take into account. These data sets are just huge crawls of data with no thought given to and really no way to classify. Like this text, this data text comes from this group of people and therefore there's this pattern in this data and we should treat it like that such. The, the, the complexity of creating a model like that would be gargantuan. It would probably take a hundred times longer to build a model that was even aware of bias in some way other than the way they are today. So I think your your point about qualification is an important one, but at the same time, it's like, got to be real careful with it. So as an aside, um, you know, we've all seen Instagram and TikTok reels and there's this one, uh, I believe she's out of Boston. There's a comedian who basically sings this song and it's like the gay woman checklist. And it's like, you know, you drive a Subaru, you donate to, uh, you know, dog rescues, you do the following like things. And I'm not a gay woman, but I check the boxes for all of the things. And obviously it's satire, but, you know, I've had comments by my friends sort of like joking before that, like, I fit a certain profile, mm -hmm. even though that's not actually my lifestyle. So I can see where there's a lot of risk and danger in making these like i wear a lot of carhartt i do drive a subaru i do donate to dog rescues i am a childless home like there's a lot of boxes that i personally check that go against what people would assume about me yep and again that's 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 a data quality issue right mm -hmm. if you make a broad inference um, and there's no accounting for anomalies. There's no accounting for for segmentation and stratification in your data. You will leap to conclusions, right? right. I, and that is that is a significant danger. Um, in the implementation of generative AI, that's still a significant danger, right? If if you have if you have a data set that you know has biases in it, and you deploy it as a chatbot, and so Chris talks to the chatbot. And gets a certain set of responses. And Katie talks to the chatbot and gets different responses. Should mm -hmm. that happen? It depends on the situation, right? If it is because Chris is being a jerk and just, you know, yelling at the chatbot, then yes, he should he should get you know on polite decline of, of service, right? Um, whereas if Katie chats in a, in a civil professional way, uh, she should get better responses. But if we gave identical responses and uh, it, and we got different outcomes, then that could indicate that just based on our genders, there might be a problem. And so part of understanding with in particular generative AI is that 
what out, what outcome are you looking for? In this chatbot example of a customer service example, you want equality of outcome. Chris and Katie, mm -hmm. if they have the same problem, should receive the same level of service. They should, and but we already know, and this is something that we're going to be talking about on our live stream on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel, trustinsights.ai slash YouTube. We're going to be demonstrating where that gender bias comes in. So for example, you know, you have the customer ex service example, but, you know, let's say we took, you know, we blended our, you know, experience together and created one biography. We said, this is the background of this person. And then we said, this is Chris Penn and asked the generative AI, what are the speaking opportunities based on this biography? And then we said, this is Katie Robert, exact same biography. And we said, what are the speaking opportunities? I guarantee we're going to get different sets of responses. I mean, this is something that we're going to be trying out and sort of testing. But my instinct is that based on the gender inferred by the large language model, just because of the name, not the experience, we're going to get a different set of responses. And that is the core of the issue is that, you know, I've heard generative AI described as one more way for women to get mansplained to. And I can't say that that's been incorrect. Like that has actually been my experience. I feel very patronized and talked down to when interacting with a stupid machine. And that's because the machines are a mirror of, of humanity. That's, it, of it is who's creating them. Mm -hmm. Right. It, uh, not just who's creating them, but of also the, the input text. I mean, if you think about the, the contents of the common crawl data set, which is one of the biggest data sets that is, is in there. Yeah, there's, that's the internet. Another big contributing data set, GitHub, right, which is mostly mm -hmm. male contributors. Reddit, which is just a, a swamp. Um, but a big one that people don't think about is the massive archives of academic papers. And you've had mm -hmm. experience in academia. You know who writes those papers. Mm -hmm. Well, when I worked uh, a million years ago at a company that was academic first, commercial second, my senior leadership team was comprised of 12 people, 10 of which were men. All of those men had PhDs and were published authors in the academic field. And they were the lead, the principal investigators on every single clinical trial. Uh, we had two women who were junior, I'm putting this in air quotes, junior investigators. Um, even though they had the exact same qualifications, they weren't as seasoned, aka old, uh, as the other principal investigators, therefore, they were not allowed to call themselves just principal investigators. They were not allowed to be first authors on the academic research, even though it was their research. They were still required to have male supervision of someone who had more experience. And, you know, quite honestly, it was BS. But that was the way that the system was constructed. Therefore, when you look up academic research, uh, including academic research done on women it is male-led academic research and i believe that you know in the health field women on research only started you know maybe a couple of decades ago because there was this thinking that 
you know, because women go through so many changes in the span of 28 to 30 days that we are not consistent enough to do research on. So all of the research done on our behalf was done on men. So there's a lot of like, again, a lot to unpack as to why we're having this particular conversation. But I guess the question, Chris, is, is there anything we as data scientists, we as marketers, we as executives can do for ourselves, for our teams, for our companies to try to, obviously we can't stop gender bias, but can we start to prevent against introducing even more of it when using these tools? Uh, that's tricky because there actually are documented and, and, and reasonably well-studied um academic papers on just how how the different genders use language itself right so mm -hmm. for example um yeah people who identify as male typically use more adjectives but have lower word count so mm -hmm. men tend to speak in a much more direct way with mm -hmm. you know with adjectives and, and determinants um women tend to speak in more of I would call it an interactive way where there's actually more descriptions, more context. Um, there's more, there's higher word count in general, just if you look at, 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 at in the ways that you communicate with, with machines in particular. And that can be, even if you don't have a person's identified gender, mm -hmm. just the, the way that people use language can nudge the language model in a certain direction. Right, because it can mm -hmm. identify like you're speaking in a certain way. Um, same is true for people who have, say, different racial backgrounds. You know, if I uh, if I was um, fluent in Korean, I would have different patterns of how I use language in English based on my experiences with the Korean language. If you have someone who speaks um, Ukrainian, they're going to have uh, um, very very different uses of things like where they even where they place adjectives and adverbs within a sentence because if their native language is Ukrainian they have those patterns and so in in when people uh, write and speak in English and interact with these models those differences will come through and the model will mm -hmm. recognize that and start to adapt based on the statistical probabilities that's being given so to answer your question the most important thing we can do is upfront do a risk assessment what is the risk of a model recognizing someone's gender and behaving differently? So, for example, if I am making a model that um, maybe I'm using a diffuser model for clip art for a blog post, there is risk there. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you could have images that were, were sexist or racist um, and you'd want to have some human review. But it's not the same level of risk as, say, a customer service chatbot where if a if a conversation went off the rails, you could have something that would cause substantial reputational damage, right? The equivalent of you know your your pizza worker spitting on the pizza and the video going you know being leaked on the internet. Um, and so, I think part part and parcel of understanding bias within these language models is to do that full five P analysis from a perspective of risk. What is the risk if this thing goes off the rails? And then from there, you can say, mm -hmm. okay, well, then here's the points, the multiple checkpoints throughout the process where we need human intervention, where we need human review to say like, okay, we're going to deploy a new chatbot. We're going to commission a team of 10 and give it every possible scenario we can think of in the testing 
environment and see if we can get the model to go off the rails and see and if it does how far off the rails it will go before something kicks in and then can we devise feedback loops within the model to, to basically shut it down so in for example uh, the cobalt uh, ui for for open source language models you can specify certain stop phrases and stop words and say like okay this list of those if this word occurs in your output immediate shutdown mm-hmm. um and, and just the conversation ends. And so those, uh, you would have to understand the technology to know what's possible f- to, to shut down these things, but you absolutely want to build that five-part process for risk analysis specifically to say, this is how we can reduce our risk. It seems like it would just be a really good best practice when introducing any kind of new technology, but especially technology that is seemingly speaking for you. Um but, you know, it occurs to me, and this was something that uh, I was talking about in our newsletter last week, is that artificial intelligence is a culture shift. And so if you're introducing generative AI and you're worried about things like gender bias and fairness, then you really need to start first at the overall culture of the company. Because you need to understand, do we, you know, sort of live those uh values do we have equal opportunity regardless of race background gender etc uh do we introduce those biases do we have an all-male executive team and all-female admins you know do those inequalities exist and we weren't even aware of them because introducing artificial intelligence is only going to exacerbate the problem not fix the problem technology won't fix a people problem but people right. can fix a technology problem. It's not, you know, you can't, it doesn't go both ways. It's it's one directional. More appliances doesn't make you a better chef. It sure, it does not. It just introduces, at least for me, more ways to get injured. <laughs> and I think the most important thing to even start this process, which hopefully if you're watching or listening to this episode, you've already done this because you're watching or listening to this episode, is having that self-awareness to ask the most important question in AI of all, which is, what could go wrong? Not ironically, asking literally, what could go mm-hmm. wrong? If you look at a situation and go, how could this machine just misbehave? And you think through all those scenarios, then you're already on the path towards mitigating your level mm-hmm. of risk. If you don't even know to ask the question, what could go wrong, you're in a lot of trouble. I agree with that. Um So it's a lot to think about. Um, You know, you need to be aware of what's going on within your team, your company, yourself before introducing uh, tools like generative AI, ChatGPT, Llama, all of the other ones, because if you're not aware, then you will just continue to introduce more of these issues into these tools because they're learning from you. So definitely do your due diligence, go through the five P's, and ask the question, what could go wrong? Exactly. And if you've got some scenarios that you've run into or some questions you've asked and you'd like answers to, pop by our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,300 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day about analytics and AI. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on, we probably have it. Go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast to find the show on the platform of your choice. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.